Welcome to the Life in the Fasting Lane podcast. Every single week, we are here to educate you, challenge you, and encourage you along your journey with intermittent fasting and finding the right way of eating for you. Check us out at fastinglane.com and on Twitter and Instagram at fastinglane. Today, I'm sorry for you if you're not watching the video because the dude's got arms for days. Our guest this week is Dr. Sean Baker, doctor, world record holding athlete and advocate for the carnivore diet. Sean, thanks so much for joining me today. Well, the beautiful Ms. Eve, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I'm glad to get to, uh, you know, interact with people since we're all trapped at home and, uh, you know, trying to, trying to wait out this, uh, this, this craziness. Yeah. Thanks for having yeah. me. Sean, thanks so much. I'll, I'll tell you guys a little bit about Sean. He's an orthopedic surgeon. He's an international speaker. He wrote a book called The Carnivore Diet, and he is the CEO of MeatRx.com. I also follow Sean on Twitter, and it, I think it's S. Baker MD. Is that right? That is. The S and the B are capitalized, and the MD is capitalized. It's kind of funny with Twitter. It's all case sensitive. and so Okay. Know. So you, so you guys got to check him out there. He um, often posts really good information about the carnivore diet. And also, if you're like me, who happens to like looking at good looking men, he also posts some pictures that I enjoy. So I'm all about that, Sean. But before we get started with you, I want to talk a little bit that Life in the Fasting Lane, this podcast, is mostly focused on intermittent fasting, extended fasting, all the things that entails. But we also talk about low carb. And I've had a lot of different people on the show. I've had one doctor, JD, who was really brilliant. And because of religious reasons, and he's in, um, because of beliefs in his country in India, focuses on keto for vegetarian. I've had people that Maria Emmerich and ketogenic girl who definitely lean more carnivore. And so I just want to start this off by saying, I always want to talk to different types of people because I think the way to figuring out what you want to do for your food choices is up to you. No doctor's going to get inside your body. No person's going to understand what it feels like inside your brain. And so I want you to hear from different people from all different walks of life. And today you're lucky enough to hear from a doctor who believes that this certain way of eating is something to examine. So Sean, we're going to get started off right away. Could you start off by telling me, first of all, what your diet looks like? Like, what'd you eat today? Well, you know, strangely enough, I haven't eaten it today. So I'm still, okay. I'm going to have a first meal, but you know, it's uh, right after this, I'm going to eat uh, five pieces of fish. <laughs> what kind of fish? Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a tilapia right now, but I'm, I'm currently playing with some leaner, leaner cuts of meat right now. And then uh, later this evening, I'll probably have some kind of steak and uh, I'm not sure maybe it's just some, throw some shrimp in there. I mean, my diet, you know, is generally, I mean, well, it's always been carnivorous for the last three years, but I vary a little bit depending on what goals are right now, because I'm trying to get a little leaner for a different type of sport. I'm going to do, I'm a little heavy. So I'm trying to get from 240 down to about 225. So I'm doing it with leaner cuts of meat. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm generally about twice a day, maybe once a day. I might even throw in some, some something to make you happy, some some intermittent fasting, some maybe yeah. you know, a day or two fasts in there, just to just to experiment a little bit more, just because I've been uh, doing the same thing for about three years. But uh, um, I am a protein advocate guy. I, I definitely think protein is, is is essential. I think we, we, we under eat it generally for most people, and then I think fat um, you know, in the, in the sense of a ketogenic diet is, is still very important. I mean, we do need fat, fat is something we need in the diet. It's just finding the right amount, I think is, is, is important to do. And I think even in the context of a carnivorous diet, you can overeat. And I know this is her heretical because we, we, because most people, 
find that meat to be very satiating. It's hard to overeat. And many people, there also, there's also some metabolic advantages to protein. Uh, you know, that, that even people that are strict calories and calories out, people will say that, you know, because of the difficulty in metabolizing protein and the excess cost and energy, that it kind of gives you that little bit of an edge. And so I think protein, for the most part, tends to be a friendly macronutrient, particularly uh, in an overall package there. So that is, uh, that's, what, that's what I'm doing today. You know, it, it may change in a month, but uh, that's, 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 uh, yesterday I had a couple of sirloin steaks. I had some more fish. Um, I can't remember if I had any, I cooked fish and some ghee. And so, you know, getting some fat that way. So, so you said you hadn't eaten yet. What time is it there? Uh, it is 11. So I'll probably after this, so it'll be, uh, it'll be, uh, probably noonish before when I start cooking. Uh, I had my dinner last night around 4 PM. So what is that? You know, it's, I don't know how many hours that is. So four, six. 19 hours of fasting, I guess. So, the, you know, and, and I think that's real, you know, what, what most people call this the physiologic fast. You know, it's kind of one of those, I'm not intentionally sort of saying, I can't eat until this time. It's just, you know, that's when I'm kind of hungry. And right now, because of the, the training, I've done two workouts this morning already. <laughs> I've rode 4,000 meters and sets of 2,000 meters and a bunch of push ups in between. And like I said, I'm on this sort of, shift right now this isn't my normal my normal routine but because i'm just kind of making this aggressive shift to, to, to get leaner and drop about you know 10 15 pounds of body weight hopefully most of it will be fat i'll preserve most of that muscle i'm, I'm kind of you know and, and i'm stuck at home and it's kind of like you know there's adaptive behaviors and maladaptive behaviors and some people sit, sit at home and eat twinkies and watch netflix other people you know do other things and you know I, i'm doing doing that right now so Sean, thank you for bringing that up. I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, I, I struggled from a lifetime of obesity and only got to feeling better the past couple of years after discovering Dr. Jason Fung and Megan Ramos and intermittent fasting. And um, before that, you know, 24 years of obesity, every diet, three bariatric surgeries, tried everything, couldn't do it. And so it's always interesting to me when you're like, you know, it's not really fasting. I'm not saying I can't eat over here. I just do that because I'm not hungry. I had never before I did low carb and intermittent fasting ever experienced a moment where I was not hungry. And, and every moment of every day was about hunger. Right now, while a lot of us are self-isolating or some people are quarantined and people are stressed, I want to talk about that mental shift it takes because I see so many people going to the store and buying muffins and uh, pre-baked goods and noodles and things that are easy. And I understand money limitations and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we have a choice. As a doctor, let me ask you this question. Why does it seem so much damn more comforting to eat a big chocolate cake than it does to eat a steak? Like, Nothing about my mind is like, I'm going to be comforted. I mean, it is a little bit now because I've been doing this a few years. But at first, that shift in my brain just tells me I'm going to feel comforted if I eat some cake and I'm not going to feel comforted if I eat a sirloin. Why? Why is that? Well, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, when, you, when a sirloin is pretty lean, so you're going you're gonna to have less caloric intake. But I mean, I think what happens is, you know, we are uh, physiologically made to seek energy. I mean, we, we need it. I mean, that's part of what keeps us going. And so when we become adapted from birth, basically, I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're, you know, I don't know what your family history is or anyone's family, but you know, a lot of times we see obesity that get, that kind of gets, now it's getting passed down to generation. I think it's not sure. necessarily that the, it's not a genetic thing. I think it's a physiologic thing. I think when the babies are born, 
in a state of high glucose exposure, hyperinsulinemia, and then we start them on, you know, either, you know, breast milk is still high in lactose, there's still a lot of sugar in there. And then we immediately shift into rice cereals and fruit juices and fruit chews. And I mean, you just, that's where you start. I mean, that is where life starts for most people. You know, in, in, in today's society, in Western society, it's, it's convenience food and that's what uh, is produced, that's what's there, that's what's available, it's not going away. I mean, it's cheap, it's profitable. And so we've got this, uh, you know, we need energy, boom, we fill it with glucose. I mean, you know, I, I'm saying that in a, in, a, in a general term, but I mean, it's, it's a carbohydrate-based food, it's a cake, it's a, because we know it's going to fill that temporary metabolic need, that metabolic crisis, um, and we're not particularly metabolically flexible, and that's where we can access fat. We can go 12 hours without eating. We can go a day without eating. I mean, my goodness, I mean, we, all, we should all be able to eat, go a day or two without eating and not freak out. I mean, that should be the normal state of, state of affairs. I mean, I can certainly do it without even... You know, uh, you know, without thinking about it. If I'm like, yeah, I can't eat tomorrow, no big deal. But for a lot of people, it's a huge, huge deal. And I think it's because we just, you know, our metabolism is so used to running on glucose that, that that's why that's comforting. And I mean, I think there's some, you know, there's some other brain uh, receptors that are stimulated that, you know, also give you this almost a drug-like effect. And that's the same reason we see that people uh, that do these sort of really sugar-restricted, carbohydrate-restricted diets, particularly things like carnivore diets, where they're actually able to find their physiologic desires for nicotine, alcohol, illicit drugs, really wane, I think, because you're, you're kind of tripping that, you know, that same set of neural pathways, you know, and feeding this, this, this sort of addiction. You know, you see the rats that will, the rats that will uh, you know, hit the machine so they can get sugar quicker than they'll hit it for, for heroin. Yeah. So I think it's a... Uh, you know, clearly there's some, there's some addiction behavior that goes in on this. Clearly there's uh, uh, that physiology and that lack of metabolic flexibility for most people. You know, it's like, it's not that sugar or anything is going to taste bad to me at any point. I mean, you're, you know, you're, you've got the sweet taste receptors and I think, you know, the problem is access. We now have constant access to sweet, whereas before, you know, theoretically, and again, we don't have a time machine, but theoretically we go back in time and the the ability to run into something sweet was probably not that frequent for most of our evolutionary past. You know, some berries when they were ripe, and we can compete with the birds and the bugs and the other food, other animals for it, and then maybe some honey occasionally, which you know you got to fight bees for. And so it's it's not like we had access to salt all the time, and uh, now we do. Now it's everywhere. It's in everything. It's in all of our food, uh, and it is a tough and tough environment. You know, Sean, I, I look at you and you're jacked. And every time I see somebody like this, I think they've always been fit. They've always been healthy. Um, I can never accomplish what they are doing because it's easier for them. It's a judgment. I understand that it's wrong, but I want you to know what goes inside my head. Whereas I come from, I, I was 300 pounds and man, I'm 185 pounds now. I'm like petite in my brain. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm killing it. So have you ever been overweight? Did you ever struggle with food? Did you, did you ever, or have you always been an athlete? Um, I've always been an athlete. I've been 305 pounds as an athlete. Uh, and I was, you know, I mean, in retrospect, looking back at what I was back then, I didn't know it or think it at the time, but I was probably way too darn fat. I mean, I wasn't, you know, no one would look at me and say, well, that's a really obese guy, but I was a yeah. big, I was a big man, six foot five. I was 300 pounds, 305 pounds, powerlifting, I was strong. I mean, I was deadlifting almost 800 pounds. I was a world champion, Highland Games guy, throwing big, huge telephone poles, competing against guys who were, by the way, six foot nine, 350 pounds. So I was one of the little big guys back then. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was about, oh, I don't know, 42, 43, where that, that sort of caught up to me, where 
I didn't really, I mean, I was just, I could, I was running sprints. I was performing well as an athlete. I could jump onto a full foot box at 280 pounds. I mean, I was, a, you know, even in, in my 40s, I mean, I was a very, very powerful, explosive athlete. But at the same time, I was developing metabolic syndrome. I was developing most likely prediabetes. I was, had sleep apnea. My blood pressure was going up. Um, I, you know, I, you know, I literally was eating myself, even though I was training, you know, like a world-class athlete, which I was, I mean, I, and I was, I was competing as a world-class athlete, but you know, that all took a change when I was about 43 ish, you know, went through a divorce, sort of reevaluating things said, okay, I got to change nutrition. And I went this entire nutritional journey and it's kind of led me to this car. And even today, like we talked about, I am still changing things a little bit to where I'm, you know, trying to get, uh, you know, even better, even healthier, even at 53 where I am now. And, uh, um, yeah, I think food is, is something that I've struggled with. Um, I mean, I didn't struggle to eat it. I ate a lot of it, you know, <laughs> and I, you know, I notoriously have eaten, eaten, you know, lots and lots of food, but I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's still a, an evolution in process. I'm still learning and still improving my overall health. I mean, you look at me on the outside and say, well, you look pretty healthy and strong, but there are still things I'm working on to get better. And I, I don't, you know, it, it's, it's not like I just woke up one day and ate steak and was suddenly I had muscle. I mean, I've been training. I've been lifting weights for 40 years. I mean, literally for 40 years. And I, I, that's just part of who I am, who I'm wired to be. But I, I think to your point, I mean, going for 300 to 185 is tremendous. And I know you're not done yet. I mean, I know you're continuing. Nah, to I'm going to keep getting hotter, Sean. Why not? Yeah, no, why not? I mean, you know, just get stronger, get, get fitter. I mean, I, I'm a, obviously a proponent of, uh, strength in, in lean muscle mass. I think that's important for health. And I think there's, you know, certain dietary strategies that lend itself better to that. I think, uh, you know, certainly uh, managing energy is important. Uh, and how we do that is, is still, like I said, I think there are advantages to not eating garbage. And I think there's hormonal advantages, but I, I do think that energy still has a role here. And I think there's, you know, there's, there's, there's nuance and there's subtlety and there's not, you know, if you just eat all the meat you can possibly eat, you're never going to eat. Some people that does work for, but not everybody. And and, I'll, and to be honest, I'm one of those that doesn't work for necessarily. So I, it's, it's one of those things that uh, you find as you live, you know, like you said, you, you like the point you made about the doctor and the people telling you, you get one body to live in, you got to live in it, no one else. And so you got to be the one that makes that decision on how to best utilize that and how to feel best and perform best. Well, I think, you're a pretty interesting doctor when you say things like people have to find their own way. They can take their advice to their doctor, they can listen and they have to find their own way. I, you know, I went to doctors for many years and tried the things they said. And I, I know a lot of people say poor things about doctors. And honestly, I think they were doing the best they could with the information they had and trying to help. It just wasn't the right information for me and when you just casually mentioned like it's no big deal to not eat for a day or two like i really didn't know that i i truly didn't i was from south i am from south louisiana we don't skip meals ever we eat all day long every moment of the day for a funeral for a birth for a birthday for a holiday it doesn't matter and i really even as a college educated woman thought if i didn't eat for five days i would die you know like i really just had these ideas in my head that i did not just were incorrect. So I know one of the things right now that people are concerned about, they're, they're at home. And I think it sounds like you'll agree with me that, you know, everybody has their own way of eating, but I don't think anybody's out there that's saying that 
eating a whole bunch of sugar is going to super help your immune system. Um, so I would just say, what would be your advice to people? They're at home now, they have a certain amount of food or they're getting the last of the food that they might have and, and be at home for a few weeks. Um, would you make any suggestions on, uh, not particularly what they eat, but like maybe the most important thing to avoid and how they could just do one thing as far as timing of when they ate that might help them a little bit? Uh, well, I mean, you know, this is a, this is sort of a delicate subject because, you know, people get upset when you say eating a certain way is going to make you per, perhaps less resistant to disease. But I mean, that's clearly the case. I mean, and this isn't something that you can eat one meal tomorrow and suddenly you're, you're yeah. immune from, from infectious disease. But I mean, if we look at this, and I think this is a good time to reflect upon, you know, lifestyle and diet in general. I mean, these sort of pandemics, these viral infections are going to increase. I mean, this is what's going to happen. And the reason for this is as our population increases, as we see increases in population density, that's why we see so much of this in China, coming out H1N virus, swine flu, bird flu, all these things come out of China because when we look at the metropolitan areas in China, they have 20 million people. Hong Kong has 35, or Tokyo has 35 million people. You know, Beijing, you know, uh, you know, all these huge, huge 20 million, 25 million plus metropolitan areas where these people are just packed in each other. So it doesn't matter where the virus, what, what its original source is, it's gonna spread through populations. And we see this in New York and London and Paris and Los Angeles and so on and so forth. And so we're gonna see these continue to go. And so we need to be in a position to be, we either change that and we have zoning laws where we say population density can only be X amount. I don't care what your real estate developers think, we're not gonna build high rise after high rise after high rise. Uh, or, and or we, you know, it's talked about, well, let's not have a population that is inundated with chronic disease. And this is what happens to our hospital systems. Our hospital systems are overrun with people with most often acute exacerbations of chronic disease, diabetic complications, obesity complications, you know, COPD complications, you know, whatever, whatever, you name it, you know, dialysis, kidney failure, things that are often related to metabolic disease. So we, we, we've got a hospital system and doctors that are worn out, they're, they're tired, they're, they're, they're pushed to the edge. I mean, the, the, the whole system's, you know, not doing well in general hospital systems. So then you throw a pandemic on top of this. And now we've got economic craziness, you know, shut everything down because you know, we can't cope. We don't know if the hospital systems can, can take a big influx of people, which they can't, right? So the thought is, what am I going to eat? You know, how am I going to, how am I going to, uh, you know, be healthy so I don't have these chronic diseases? And we know that diabetics, we need old people are at particularly high risk for this particular infection, it would seem, and again, I don't want to put too much because we, we don't know a lot about it. We're still learning a little, quite a bit. And so, but, you know, people with high blood sugar, well, eating a bunch of sugar is not going to help your blood sugar. I don't care. You know, there's no, uh, I don't think there's anybody out there saying that it, eating all this processed just, just stuff that I, you know, when I went to the grocery store to, to stock up on some meat and eggs and stuff like that, I mean, I saw card after card of, you know, muffins and potato chips. And I mean, I was just looking at this going, gosh, I mean, this, this is not the right answer. So yes. first of all, eating, you know, I mean, you know, whether you follow a carnivore diet or a vegetarian diet or a whole food diet, that's probably a, in general, a better strategy for immune system. Um, you know, again, if we're eating constantly and we're snacking constantly, like so many of us have been trained to do, you remember when I was a kid, probably, I don't know how old you are, but when I was a kid, 
Uh, I mean, there was, don't snack, you'll ruin your appetite for dinner. That yeah. is going away now. We don't do that. We either, kid says he's hungry, here's a fruit stick. Here's a, here's a, here's a little mini muffin. Here's a healthy quote-unquote granola bar. And so what we see is this persistently elevating glucose, persistently stimulated insulin, pancreas, pancreas. That probably is a less advantageous thing for uh, infectious disease. I mean, that, again, I think there's data to support that. Uh, there's, you know, there's data out there looking at things like uh, certain compounds and certain foods. And obviously my bias is towards meat. So I look at things like carnosine where there's been a number of studies looking at carnosine, uh, which is exclusive to animal products, it sort of mitigates the effects of things like influenza, Zika virus, and some of these other things. So we know that there are immune boosting effects of food. You know, you can argue about what the best diet is or not, but I mean, clearly I don't think Twinkies have an immune boosting effect. And so I would just say that. I think, you know, like I said, I think, um, you know, and, and as, you, as, as someone who fasts, you know, there are certain people where fasting is not the best answer right away. If you're malnourished, if you're nursing, if you're pregnant, if you're a small child, if you're, you know, and fasting doesn't mean I skipped a meal. I mean, we know, I mean, that's not, oh, I didn't have lunch. It doesn't mean, oh my gosh, you're going to die. But I mean, if you start getting this two, three you know, day stuff, and then we're like, okay, maybe certain people, certain people have a lot of medical issues may not want to do that. But I mean, at the same time, you probably don't need to be constantly snacking. And, and what you need to eat needs to be nourishing foods, not, not just garbage. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. One of the main things I've been doing during the past couple of weeks is asking smart people like you their opinions on this. And I know that we want to listen to doctors and professors and researchers, and we, and we wish that everybody just had the answer and would say, eat this way, and it's going to magically protect you. And that answer does not exist. We don't know. If we knew that, we would have already solved it. But here is what I'm hearing from you and Dr. Jason Fung and David Sinclair, who is a Harvard professor, Try not to eat a bunch of sugar and eat less often. That's it. That is like the big general immune boosting stuff that I'm hearing um, across the board that most doctors I think can agree on. And I feel stressed that most of the food I see online or on people's carts or whatever is lots of sugar. And man, I get it. I think all of us are worried about each other, about ourselves, and we, we want comfort. And I just wanted to bring up that I think right now, just you got those things, that's awesome. Push them to the back a little bit. Start with the other stuff first. Um, instead of eating all day long because it's your first time being at home with your kids and as much as we love our kids, here they are at home while we're working or our spouse or our roommate and they're driving us crazy, it's really easy to just go ahead and eat some Doritos to deal with that frustration because we're all supposed to be so grateful that we're home with the people we love and we are but that stress of being scared in the situation I don't know about y'all doesn't always make me the nicest human and I have to find some way to calm down and that way for me has been first week I did exactly that I, I ate things I don't normally eat and I felt like crap like I just felt like crap and when I eat things I don't normally eat anymore I eventually get sick and I just can't do that right now I have to be as good as I can to have my best chance of not getting sick. So thank you for sharing your advice on that. Um, I know another thing that a lot of people have asked about is um, vitamins right now. Or, or I, I, you know, I hear a lot of different advice, but like my impression is it's great if you take a vitamin, that's wonderful. 
um, and it's important to examine. But in the current situation, I don't think there's any magic vitamin that somebody has come out and said, this is going to protect you, you know, from viruses and diseases in the next couple of days. Am, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, I mean, you're not going to take a vitamin to save yourself from, from this stuff. And I think, again, it's uh, hopefully, you know, people will use this to catalyze an improvement in their overall health. Um, I, you know, I think in general, when we look at supplements, for the most part, they tend to be not very efficacious. You know, certain, you know, vitamins and antioxidants have even been shown to be deleterious in, in uh, supplement form. So, I mean, you're better off getting Sean, your... Sean, that was a giant word. I don't know what that means. Deleterious? Uh, hurts you. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Thank you for taking it down sorry, for me. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's studies, you know, that, that have been done looking at antioxidant supplementation. It actually shows it net harm to people. And so um, that is something you just have to realize. I, again, I'm, a, I'm really a big food first type of person. And I think, you know, supplement with exercise. My goodness. I mean, yeah. there's so much other benefits from that. And it doesn't have to be, you know, going rogue 2,000 meters on a rowing machine or deadlift 500 pounds like something I might do. But, I mean, just do a little bit of stuff. You know, you can get in your kitchen and do some squats. You can walk around. You can take your kids out for a walk outside. It's free. Hopefully, if you're in Louisiana, you got some sunshine. Um, you know, I mean, these things are, you know, instead of sitting on the couch with your kids and everybody's, you know, going back, passing a bag of potato chips, take the kids outside. You don't, you can social isolate, you know, and be outside with your dogs, with your kids. You can walk around the block. You can make it a game. You can see, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do. You know, if your kids want to have energy and they're running, tell them to run to the next stop sign and you can tie them up or something like that. You just, yes. you know, you just, you just kind of make it, make it fun, you know, and, and you know, you just kind of get them away from the sedentary behavior. Um, we as a species are not meant to be cooped up in a little, inside area you know and 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 not doing stuff we're meant to be out moving and as you felt going from 300 to 185 your body was capable of more and you probably felt like hey you know you should celebrate um and you know when we say exercise people like walking on the treadmill lifting it doesn't have to be that it could be just playing i mean play i mean celebrate what your body is now capable of and and get there And, and you do still a little bit more each day and uh um, you know, you don't have to be this crazy meadow competitive guy like I have, which is, which is kind of a mental illness, but, um, you know, I mean, but I think you can, you can do those things and I mean, make it a, make it a, you know, make it an enjoyable part of your day. You'll be surprised that, you know, just, you know, even, and I know this guy named Stan Efferding, who's a friend of mine, he's a big bodybuilder guy, but he, he's a big advocate of some of the 10 minute walk and just a couple times a day, just stroll. If you got a dog, that's a perfect excuse. Your dogs are going to be happier, but you know, after a meal in particular, instead of, you know, stuffing yourself in front of the TV or eating and then go sit down and watch TV, you know, eat your meal and then go for a walk, you know, go for a walk around the block, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And you'll be surprised how uh, much better you feel just from a mental health standpoint and, and, you'll, and you'll help your physiology out too. Thank you, Sean. I feel like everybody who's trapped inside or staying inside to, to help others right now, just know we got both sides of the spectrum here. We got Sean, who is this world-class athlete, and he's rowing 2,000 meters, which I don't even know how long that is, but it sounds really long. And I got up this morning, and after a month of working out in the garage with my new weight set, I was able to do an overhead press with the barbell. And like, I just thought I was a badass, Sean. I was like, look at this. 
So my husband and I go in the garage and we work out and he's, he was an athlete when he was younger. He's always in great shape. So I, I like to watch him work out cause he's super hot. So that's fun. Um, and then the dog is just living her best life, getting four to six walks a day instead of two. Our daughter goes and does that. And, um, we're going to probably do, a, um, Recently, we did a, a Jane Fonda workout from YouTube in the living room as a family. And my daughter was like, what are these, what are these things on their legs? She had never seen leg warmer. So this is also an educational period, right? We can open up people to all kinds of new things like leg warmers. So basically, if you're in the house, move your body in whatever way feels good to you, maybe just a little more than usual, because I think one of the quickest benefits, and Sean, I want to hear your input on this. Yes, it keeps your body healthy, but... I think there's so much stress we're dealing with right now and so much um, unsuredness that for me, the, the moving and the weightlifting, as little as it is for me, it makes me feel sane, at least for like a day. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The mental health benefits to exercise are, are enormous. I mean, there's, there's uh, study after study after study that shows that. And so even if you don't feel that, uh, you know, you can outrun a bad diet, which is a lot of evidence that it's difficult. I mean, I tried for years and eventually failed, but uh, yeah, exercise, moving, getting out, sunshine, you know, all of these things do have a, a, a objective and, and clearly significant benefit. So, I mean, I think you should take advantage of this time to, uh, you know, if you're not working or, you know, you, you know you're, you're, you've got time to reflect. I mean, you can, like I said, you can do the, you can do the Netflix thing and, you know, sit, sit on the couch or you can really, you know, take stock and say, hey, what do I want to do to not only protect myself from disease and not just infectious disease, chronic disease, which is honestly going to be more, I mean, even though we're, everybody's, you know, they're, they're heightened sense and worried, worried about the, the, the coronavirus, I mean, the odds of that affecting you is very, very low. I mean, but the odds of you getting heart disease, the odds of you getting diabetes, cancer, I mean, it's like, you know, one in three, one in two. Uh, whereas coronavirus is going to be one in a million. So, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, from a long lasting positive impact. So, I mean, this is where you need to make those changes. And then, you know, hopefully we all, uh, you know, and th this is a sad thing I, I see. And this is one of the reasons I started MeetRx was because I want to make a huge difference in what we have on a population basis. And I mean, we literally, with the amount of wealth and resource and brain power we have in the United States, and we have a populace that is, you know, diseased, sick, disabled, uh, depressed. We should not have that. We should be strong, robust, you know, healthy, happy people. I mean, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's clearly achievable uh, if we were to put the priorities there instead of, you know, trying to get the next, uh, you know, neatest electric, electronic gadget, you know, virtual reality. We should work on real reality and, you know, focus on people's health. And the, the thing I talk about with nutrition, I talk about it in the book and I talk about it in just everything I say. I think, you know, when we have this sort of belief that I'm going to tell you how to eat so you can live to be 90 or 100 or 80 and how you can not have heart disease, we just don't have that information. That data will never be there. And so why don't we just refocus our goals and say, we've got all these people that are obese or sick and let's change the way they do it. If they have to do it through fasting, if they have to do it through a meat-based diet, if they have to do it through a vegetarian diet, I don't care how we get there, but we got to get there. And the answer is not more drugs. It's not more pills. It's not more gastric bypasses. It's not more, you know, stomach balloons. It's not more drugs that make you pee off glucose. I mean, that's not the right way to do it. I mean, the right way to do it is, you know, go after lifestyle, go after food. Uh, I mean, our food system, I mean, these guys are out to make money. I mean, they're businesses. I don't, they don't, 
they don't care one way or another if you or me or you sitting in Louisiana or me sitting in California is healthy. They just care about how much how much merchandise can we move, and that's the bottom line. And you know we, that's that's reality. So that's not going away. But we have to, as a community, kind of grassroots, and that's what you're doing, and what I'm doing, and all of us are doing is kind of saying, what is our reach? How many people can we affect? How many people are going to listen to this podcast? Ten, a hundred, five hundred? Who? How many of them are going to, you know, actually take action based on this? And hopefully, some. And that's all we can do. Thanks, Sean. I. I wrote a book called Life in the Fasting Lane with Dr. Jason Fung and Megan Ramos. It's about to come out. And I felt like I really, being a non-doctor, non-researcher, wanted to talk to people in that way that it's like, it's about your choice and nobody can figure this out for you. They can give you information. You can talk to the smartest people in the world, but you have to make that choice. You have to figure it out. Um, and and I, it's really nice to hear that from a doctor. So let's talk about MeetRx. What is MeetRx.com? And then one of the questions I have is I love beef. I love meat. And I usually try to buy grass-fed, grass-finished beef. And it's more expensive. And I think I know the answer to this, but does it really make a difference in your opinion? Uh, well, I'll, I'll answer the second question first, and I'll talk about MeetRx. So, I mean, the, the grass-finished grass grain finished question I get quite a bit um, in observing people. And this is all we can really do because the studies out there have been very few at this point and very unequivocal or very equivocal, I should say. It doesn't really show one having a significant benefit over the other. Um, I would say for the vast majority of the people buying what they can afford has the same effect. I mean, that is to say people that eat grain finished beef, you know, in the supermarket, get just as much mitigation of disease, diabetes, weight loss as people that are spending extra money. Now, having said that, there are individuals that definitely say they feel better when they only eat grass-finished meat. And there are a few that say they feel better eating grain-finished meat. And they hmm. have to do the fat content and, and some of these things. And I know there's concerns about antibiotics and hormones and pesticide residues. Uh, those things are really, really small, small effect. In fact, uh, you know, if you look at antibiotics, by law, technically, there's not supposed to be any antibiotics in the meat, whether occasionally some gets through about 0.5% of the meat that's tested annually. I mean, regularly by uh, USDA shows that there is a residual amount of, of, of antibiotic in there. So it's a very small amount. You know, so it's kind of like 99.5% of the time, there's going to be no antibiotic in any meat you eat. Hormone production amounts, you know, if you, fit, if you look at an animal that's been fed hormones versus an animal that's not, they still make hormones. A cow, just like you have, have hormones, I have hormones. When you cut my meat open, I'm going to have hormones in it. So the difference is, the difference in like a couple nanograms per, per three ounces or 100 grams. So it's really, we're talking minuscule nanograms amount. And so like I said, if you're worried about the hormones in beef, then you wouldn't eat eggs or dairy because it has, a, you know, 10 times as much hormones as you will okay. even, in, even in, a, in a implanted steer. So, you know, the pesticide levels, again, the numbers that we see are infinitesimally small that, I mean, it's like the effect is, you know, are you getting the same amount by eating any other food? Um, you know, plant food, for instance, you're going to have more probably than you're going to have with beef, you know? And I think it's, I think that's not a big issue. Now, having said that, um, I don't discount the fact that some people say they feel better on this and that's fine. And then I guess when we look at the overall big picture, I think we should sort of push more towards a regenerative style pasturing of animals where it can be done. Uh, I think supporting those guys, supporting ranchers directly is huge because uh, the meat companies, you know, there's four major companies in the United States, Cargill, Tyson Foods, 
uh, JBS and Marfrey, the last two are Brazilian companies. They provide some like 80% of our beef. And so these guys don't really necessarily have our best interests at heart. In my view, I think they're going to start pushing alternative forms of beef. They're going to put in the fake foods, the fake meat, the, 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 the chemical stuff, because they'll make more profit of that, just like any other company. And so I think direct to direct to rancher, direct to consumer, and I, I do a lot of that as much as I'm able to, and I support that stuff. Now, what MeetRx is, you know, like I said, I think the healthcare system is sick. I think the healthcare system, in many cases, has devolved into a disease management industry, and we do a lot of disease management. You know, we kind of just foster disease and we treat it. We don't really, we don't really give people a hope for cure. And I think things like hypertension and diabetes and obesity, I think those are all completely curable and reversible diseases. Uh, type two, particular, when we're talking about diabetes, and so I think we should be doing that. I don't think you know, but I mean, it's not to say that if I get coronavirus or if I'm in an accident, we shouldn't have that system in place because it does a wonderful job. We're the best in the world at that. And I was, as a physician, I know most physicians care deeply for their patients. They do the best they can. The problem is we're not trained. We don't have the tools to deal with chronic disease effectively. And this is what MeterX is. And so where, the, where we have disease management over there with regard to chronic disease, I think we need a different alternative route. And I like to call it health creation. And so I think, you know, when we, when we have Donald Trump versus Joe Biden or whoever is competing for president's spot of arguing about how we're going to pay for access to health care, you know, it's really what are you giving people access to? Is it just more pills and prescriptions and procedures and high tech disease medic mitigation, which really is a losing game in the long haul? It's kind of like, hey, the Titanic is sinking and we're arguing about how to pay for arranging the deck chairs. And my, my vote is we need to get on a different boat and we need to come in this health creation thing. And this was MeetRx's. And so what it is, is one, it's a community, because as you probably know, as an addict, a recovering addict from sugar and carbohydrates and, and food addictions, you need support. And I don't care how much yeah. information you have. You, oh, the information is already out there. You know, we've been putting labels on food, telling people to calorie restrict. We, you know, we know uh, all kinds of stuff about the things of food. We know that eating a bunch of cake is not good for us. And yet we still do it right? It's not like the knowledge is not there. And so you need something. You need something in your advantage physiologically. I think a meat-based diet helps with that. You need something in your corner accountability support-wise. And so we've had this huge support community that we're growing. We have resources, you know, information, knowledge. We have physicians portals. We have uh, coaching, which is just extremely affordable. I want, you know, my goal is to make this affordable. So we're like $18 for 30 minutes of coaching. I mean, it's like, very, very affordable. Uh, and it's, you know, it's just fostering this community. I do, I do a session every single day, 9 a.m. Pacific. I'm there every day talking to people. We get 50, 100 people show up. We answer wow. questions. We ask questions. We support each other. Um, you know, we're going we're gonna to step out and we're going to grow into some other areas because I understand that a meat-only diet is very sort of niche, although yeah. very effective for a lot of people. It's very effective for autoimmune, for gut, gut issues in particular. It can be effective for metabolic diseases like any other uh, low-carbon ketogenic diet can be. I think it has some advantages with, with, with some other aspects with protein and stuff like that and bioavailability. But um, so we are, you know, going to aggressively, uh, you know, go into the market uh, with this health creation idea and... Um, uh, not stick with dogma. We're not like the only way. This is the only way. I'm just, we're, we're, we're learning as we go. Like I said, my journey, I've learned. People in the, in the, in the space are learning. Uh, we'll probably incorporate some, some component of fasting in there because I think there is some efficacy for 
many, many people, as you know. Uh, I think there's 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 other dietary strategies. I don't think we'll be a vegan platform anytime soon, but um, I do think there is some room for growth. And I think that what's, what we're really seeing really nicely, as opposed to like the other social media groups, Facebook and you know Instagram, Twitter, is the interaction level is so much better. The support level is better. The video interface is better. Uh, I think people really enjoy that community aspect of that to be able to like do what we're doing, you know. But now we've got 50 people or 20 people or 10 or whatever to have these things freely available at all times throughout the world and yeah. specialty support groups. Um, that's going to be really, really helpful. And I think that uh, uh, we're going to see market driven uh, people that are just like, hey, I'm tired of going to the doctor and getting another pill. It's not that doctors are bad necessarily, but like I said, when you graduate from medical school and then subsequently your, your subspecialty residency, you get certain tools put in your toolbox and fasting diet, you know, lifestyle exercise. They're not there. They're not in that toolbox. And so when you're like trying to tell now, now it's not to say that some doctors, myself included, don't have a lot of knowledge about diet and exercise and nutrition because I do just because I've done it on my own for my whole life. But the average doctor, you know, you walk in there and, you know, we always see it all the time. There's a doctor, you look at him and man, you don't look all that healthy yourself. You know, they don't necessarily, I mean, it's not to say they can't have the knowledge, but I mean, you know, a lot of times they don't. And so I yeah. don't recommend you go to the doctor for uh, fitness advice, nutrition advice, or even sometimes, sometimes I hate to put this, but health advice. I mean, we're, we're, we're disease managers, disease mitigators. Um, and sometimes the health advice that you may have gotten, you know, gastric bypass, maybe you might not have had to have that, you know, if, if you if you discovered, you know, some of these other lifestyle issues first. Yeah, I, I definitely think I would have made different choices had I been introduced to the knowledge I was finally introduced to. And Sean, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I, I'm really impressed by what you've done and what you talk about, but even more about your openness and honesty about not having everything figured out and still exploring and everybody needing to explore, you know, to find their own way. Um, I hope you will come back on because I still have more questions for you. And I think you're really cool. Um, but guys, you need to check Sean out at meetrx.com and also on Twitter at capital S, capital B, that's SB Baker, capital M, capital D. And what other places can people check you out, Sean? Uh, yeah, so I've got Instagram, which is probably my, probably where I spend most of my time on Instagram. So Sean Baker, nineteen sixty seven. So that's that's there. And then I also I do a YouTube video almost every day. So I do a little okay. YouTube video. So Sean Baker, YouTube, you say Sean Baker Carnival or something, you'll find my channel there. So I'm I'm pretty active on social media. I am, uh, uh, you know, I do a little bit of consulting still. I'm just kind of that that I'm trying to keep two hours a day available for that for people that want to do direct consultations but i mean i i i i'm doing so much i'm trying to do so much stuff behind the scenes uh, that that time is dwindling for me which is honestly a good thing because if i can reach tens of thousands and hopefully you know millions of people then then i'll then, then i'll be happy you know that means i'm successful and, and uh, what we're all doing as a community you know what you're doing what i'm doing is is so incredibly important and uh, i will be happy to come back on you know maybe maybe down the road i'm gonna i'm gonna I'm going to do some personal experimentation, maybe with some fasting, uh, and uh, maybe we can talk about that type of stuff. Um, well, good. I'm going to send you my book then. Perfect. Yeah, I'd love to read it. Yeah, awesome. Thank you.
Sean, thank you so much for being here, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in to Life in the Fasting Lane podcast. And get all the tips you need on fasting, low carb, how to eat, things to explore at fastinglane.com. You can check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Fasting Lane. And until next time, to your health and hotness. Bye.